You're listening to the Bitcoin.com podcast. Our guest today is Clinton Donnelly, founder of Donnelly Tax Law. This episode is brought to you by Cybex.io. Interested in OTC trading? Stop wasting time on standoffs and expensive escrows. Try Cybex, the world's first regulated and proven decentralized OTC technology backed by industry leaders. Cybex allows you to trade Bitcoin to any ERC-20 tokens, completely peer-to-peer, safely and privately. No account required. No middlemen. Visit Cybex.io. That's S-I-B-E-X dot I-O. I'm your host, Dustin Plantle. Join us as we dive into the world of economics, politics, tech, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency. For even more crypto-related news, sign up at news.bitcoin.com or follow us on Twitter at Bitcoin.com. Now let's bring on our guest. Clinton, welcome to the Bitcoin.com podcast. I'm glad to be here, Dustin. Well, thank you for joining us. And I must, much, uh, I must say, to have you on the show, an expert in the tax space, is something that not just me, but many people around the world need to hear. So tell us a little bit more about Donnelly Tax Law. Well, Donnelly Tax Law is a, a firm. I have about 10 people that work for me preparing tax returns for United States citizens. Now, I realize the show is international, and, uh, although a lot of them are Americans. But a lot of things we're going to talk about are common to tax systems in other countries. So that, I think that's relevant to them. Uh, so we have become specialized on cryptocurrency tax returns. We've, we've done about a thousand of them. I'm also a specialist with uh, doing audits. We have three returns undergoing IRS audit right now, formal audits. So, you know, I think we're pioneering that area. We also pioneered the use of uh, like kind exchange for reducing taxes for crypto traders. I have an advanced law degree in international financial regulation including taxation. And I'm an enrolled agent uh, licensed to practice by the IRS uh, in all 50 states. And I have clients in 48 countries as well. And uh, we also have another company called Crypto Tax Audit, which provides audit protection assistance and early warning of audits uh, to clients on a subscription basis. Wow, that, that's quite the bio. And that's it, Crypto Tax Audit. And, and it's something that's needed today. I mean, last week or this past week, I read uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal when it was talking about taxes and the IRS, and it was very scary. And I'm sure there are many people around the country uh, that are afraid. And internationally, there's probably many governments that are seeing those articles as well and saying we should do something similar, or they probably are. So tell us about that. Well, I had a guy call me up. And he had invested. He, you pay when you call me up. You paid it for the phone call. It's like a you know like a doctor visit. It's like ninety five dollars. He invested nine hundred dollars in crypto, and it went down to seven hundred. And he got out, and he was concerned about his taxes. I mean, he spent ninety five dollars talking to me. He lost two hundred dollars on his investment. He's a he's a you know a puny investor, but he was terrified that somehow the IRS would come after him. So that just gives you an idea of just the fear that the IRS cultivates in people. And the IRS, not just the IRS, but other tax agencies around the world, they cultivate fear. Fear is a powerful force for getting people to conform. Uh, up in Canada, uh, IRS, I mean, people have a really negative on the IRS, but other countries are much more... Um, to be feared. The tax authorities in other countries are more fearful. In fact, in, in Canada, uh, the, the, the revenue 
Canada, which is what they call the tax agency, they say that you'll spend more years in jail for tax fraud than you will for murdering the tax auditor. Wow. And what do you attribute that, that to? Is, uh, it's a fear is something that's cultivated. I mean, so uh, if, if, uh, if people could get away without having to do things, if the IRS was toothless to enforce that, well, then everybody would get away with it. So the flip side is you cultivate fear. How do they cultivate fear? They do it by um, when they go to court, they only prosecute cases that they have a very high confidence of winning. In fact, they expect to win every case. They don't. They don't. You know, go for fifty-fifty. They want. They're at like a ninety-five percent win rate. Then, what they do is they have very strict fines that they can hit you with. I mean, the numbers get big, right? So when they get somebody over the barrel, then they negotiate a settlement. Part of that negotiated settlement is a statement that the person signs where they cannot. They cannot talk about what happened with the IRS, and the IRS is complete charge of the narrative. They will create a press release, and then they'll give it to Fox News and CNN and MS, MSNBC because everybody loves to hear a story about someone getting caught, you know, not paying their taxes. And uh, crypto traders, especially back in 2018, they were gloating about so much money they had made. You know, it was it was something that people non-investors would would have believed that these people were cheating and not paying their taxes. I mean, the, people love to hear about other people getting caught, all right, as long as it's not them, all right? So that's the fear thing. Let me, let me tell you, this is uh, hot news for you. Uh, it's an idea that the IRS is doing to cultivate fear. As we all appreciate, the taxation of cryptocurrencies is extremely complex. The IRS really doesn't know how to regulate it, doesn't know how to do it. Uh, they have some rules, but they're not adequate. There was a question in this last year's tax return, the tax return people were doing this year, 2019. They said, did you buy, sell, send, receive, or have any financial interest in virtual currencies, you know, cryptocurrencies? This is over on schedule one. Next year, that question is moved onto the front page of the 1040. Let me tell you where that question lands. On the, as you read the 1040, you type in your social security number, your name, your address, and the first question they ask is, did you send, sell, receive, or have any financial interest in virtual currencies? They ask this before they ask you how many kids you have, if you're blind, if you're over 65, and how much money did you make? I mean, that's, uh, they've elevated that question to the point of just terrifying virtually everyone. The accounting profession is terrified because they don't know what to say to taxpayers who have questions about what's a virtual currency and what do I do? This is, um, uh, you know, in, in the context of the IRS having given very poor guidance to report taxes, to elevate a question to the highest level you could possibly bring on a tax return, it, I, you know, it doesn't make any sense outside of trying to maximize fear but when we look at the world of metals you know gold silver that there is throughout at least the united states there are many people that go and buy gold and silver every single day a lot or you know people that invest in or people that are worried what's going on with with the economies probably in the tune of billions upon billions and billions of dollars so why isn't that the number two question or number three did you buy gold and silver at a, at a shop this year why is crypto I mean, why is crypto so scary? Why is it so feared? Because you could buy crypto a couple of years ago and never come back to cash. So when, like, 
if I wanted to buy Google, if I buy Google stock and I want to sell it and buy Apple stock, I have to sell it for cash. And then for cash, I then buy the Apple. So that's a easily recorded. It's reduced. The buy and sell prices are clearly expressed in dollars and it's captured. But when you go from crypto to crypto to crypto to crypto, and then you start wrapping your cryptos in, you know, on ETH and you start pooling them, you start sharing them and you got, you know, airdrops here and airdrops there. And they, you know, IRS doesn't see this ever coming back to fiat. So they're uh, with cryptocurrencies, the, the tax authorities have realized they've lost that they're dependent on you coming back to cash to be able to measure income and they tax you on the income. And this is the problem. I mean, of course, you know, cryptocurrencies, as we know, is revolutionizing the entire financial industry. But the tax authorities are finding a lot of they're getting very fearful. I mean, uh, a third of all millennials own cryptocurrencies. A third. And I imagine that through the next number of years that the next generation. So while I'm now the old guy, that the next generation that comes after me, that they'll it'll be more than one third. I mean, it could be two thirds. It could be all. So, I mean, is this just in the United States, or are we starting to see these numbers around the world? We're seeing these numbers all over. Uh, the challenge, I mean, the internationally, there is not a well-defined notion of a cryptocurrency asset class. Uh, the Financial Action Task Force, which is the international money laundering regulation body, you know, they came out with a definition they call virtual assets, and uh, which is very similar to the U.S. definition. Uh, so the problem is we're reaching a point where taxing cryptocurrencies as property, much like uh, what we're doing right now, it becomes really strained when we're looking at, you know, uh, pooled ETH and wrapped ETH and, you know, all sorts of DeFi, you know, constructions of investment. It's really, it's, it's really getting, it's really going to test the IRS's ability to even, you know, understand what constitutes income. So it's a, it's a problem all over. Some countries are saying, well, if you own it for a year, we won't even tax the cryptocurrency or, you know, they, they do a variety of things to try to get out of the problem. Uh, but then, you know, it, it, nobody really knows how to respond to it. Congress has told the IRS, don't push cryptocurrency taxation too hard because we do not want to stifle innovation. And America is the leader in financial uh, innovation and financial industry. So they don't want to crush that. So it's, there's a, there's a tightrope here, but because it's, but most crypto traders are like you and me, we're, you know, we're average people. So, you know, it's, it's complicated. Yeah, it's interesting because from the millennial aspect, now I'm the upper edge of the millennial, but the mindset is, so I'm buying crypto with after-tax dollars. You've already taxed it. I then take on the risk to buy something. I then have to hold my own keys. If I lose my keys, I lose the asset. If the exchange gets compromised, depending upon which exchange, they're still going to claim, well, if your account got compromised from your own, then that's your fault if we got hacked. So the millennial mindset, right or wrong, is that I'm buying it with after-tax dollars. Why should I be taxed on something that is speculative? That's a great question. Uh, it comes down to our philosophy of taxation. You know, back in the 1800s, uh, we had a utilitarian view of taxation. But the only way the government made money was when they 
provided services. And usually this was in the form of customs, you know, importation taxes and things like this. And uh, when we get into 1913 with the innovation of the IRS, and it really took about till 1930 before it got mature, you know, they, there was a whole philosophy saying, hey, look, let's not charge the utilitarian aspect of a government, but let's create a progressive tax system where we tax people on the income, not the wealth, not the services they get from the government, but the income that they derive from the economy, which the government stimulates. And we have a progressive tax system where wealthier people contribute more into taxes than a poor poorer people. In fact, in the U.S., approximately 45% of all taxpayers pay zero taxes. They're in the lower end of the income bracket, or they, they have child tax credit, earned income tax credits, which are you know types of welfare uh, that are given through the tax system so that you know we have a, a pretty large set of people that don't pay any taxes at all, at, pay zero. You know, and that includes, of course, Donald Trump. I saw that and, and I read it. Now, <laughs> I have to imagine while this, this show occasionally will get in the world of politics that all of the other things that he has bought, he has purchased, his corporation has bought and purchased, has created millions and millions and millions of dollars in taxes, which is more than, as you just said, that if 45% of the people just in the United States pay nothing, I go, well, he's paid millions and millions of more dollars than you've ever paid. So... In, oh yeah. Exactly. I mean, again, that's the way that, that I look at it in, I think what happens is it is very easy to spend somebody else's money until it's your own. It's well, he should, I go, but why? Well, he makes more, but does he get more? So if, if again, conceptually speaking, while this is a show about taxes is that if one individual spending is paying millions of dollars over the course of their lifetime in taxes and someone else doesn't pay as much, should the person who pays more get more? I mean, what sort of model is it that we are penalizing success? We are penalizing somebody that I mean, you, you own your own business. You never turn it off. I mean, I, I email you, text you late at night. You never shut it off. And yet you took on all the risk to start your business. Did you not? Uh, absolutely. You know, and you're absolutely right. The questions you're asking, millennials ha- don't really understand how the investment world works. And well, who does? You know, you go to high school. And you learn math and all these different things. They prepare you for the real world, right? Did you ever get taught how to do a tax return in high school? No. I don't know anyone who did. No, not at all. No one does. Yeah. So, but that's the the biggest interaction you'll ever have with government is doing taxes, paying taxes, sales tax, income tax, property tax, which is a wealth tax. So, um, you know, we we are the government uh, undereducates us on the taxation system, and the my, the millennials really are aware of this. Uh, Congress incents certain behavior uh, to, so they want people to invest, but they want to invest and leave it in an asset for over a year. Now, they weren't thinking cryptocurrencies at the time. They're thinking more like buying stocks or investing in a company. They want to create stability rather than day trading in and out, which is, doesn't really generate true economic activity. So they reward you with a tax break. They also reward investing in real estate. You get to depreciate the cost of the land, which space the property. So uh, you get to reduce. So depreciation can often generate uh, a tax loss for people, even though you're making money, which is probably what you're seeing with Donald Trump. Congress has chosen to encourage that uh, for a variety of reasons. So, uh, 
you know, it's worthwhile for everyone to take time to learn the tax system and how it works. And uh, a simplistic mindset is it doesn't really appro- uh, give you the, the skills to make tax decisions. But at the flip side, and I think I'd like to talk about fears. You know, we have uh, so many people have fears that just they're just terrified, and people feel that they go they have difficulty sleeping at night mainly because they're involving cryptocurrencies and they think that the IRS might come and seize them or take their house or kick them out or, you know, they'll lose their job or, you know, there's crazy fears. And I think the best antidote to that is to add, bring clarity to the whole process. You know, how does the tax system work? What is the process? And so you don't have to have blind panic at night so people can sleep. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, being somebody that got into the crypto space only a handful of years ago myself, you know, that has been one of the areas that I have worried about and been concerned of is uh, I bought my with after tax dollars. Um, but now what's going to happen going forward? Because you see these articles in the news, while there are other people out there that might have bought, you know, using, I don't know, nefarious type money, that there are those of us like yourselves that did it the right way. So what you're saying is that we shouldn't live in fear. We shouldn't be afraid that someone's going to come knock down our door. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Uh, Congress passed a bunch of laws in 1999 to provide taxpayer safeguards and protections. Uh, they called it a bill of rights, and uh, they put limits on a lot of what had been IRS activities. If somebody's telling you horror stories about the IRS, you want to find out, you know, was it before the year 2000 or was it after? You know, there's, there's a lot of bad horror stories with the IRS before 2000. Wow, that, that's interesting. On the other hand, I mean, you have Bill of Rights. So what that means is that they have to communicate with you if they think something's wrong. You get – you don't – they just don't come and take. They, there's a due process that's built into the law. And if they don't follow it, then they lose in court. And that's generally how they always lose in court, failing to follow process. So they're very good at this. Uh, you prepare a tax return. We have a voluntary system. You know, your people that pay you money report that to the IRS. You fill out a tax return, account for everything that the IRS knows about, and that's a tax return, right? right. Maybe you'll never hear from the IRS again. Uh, maybe uh, you don't have the money to, ability to pay what you owe. Well, now we're into collections. Okay. Now collections has a whole set of tools that they can happen. Sometimes in between there, your return might be examined. It might be done by the computers where they'll find math errors, or it might be done by a human. We'd call that an audit. And they're going to actually go through and look at the detail on your tax return. Now, when they do that, they don't look at everything. It's not a navel gazing session. You know, they generally are targeted on selected issues. They have a limited amount of time. They got to be very focused. So uh, with an audit, you get a letter. We're going to have an audit. Uh, and then you say, well, you know, I get to know who my auditor is. I get to know whose manager is. There's a due process. We exchange documents. Audits tend to take about a year and a half to do, which is uh, the timeline can be kind of tenuous for people. And they can come up with some wild conclusions. But if you don't like how the audit goes at the end, there's an independent office of appeals that you could say, hey, this auditor was out of line doing this when he said that, when he made this conclusion. And you can often fix a lot of problems in appeals. If you don't like appeals, you can go up to tax court. Don't like tax 
court's decision. You can go up to the district court or the Supreme Court after that. So there's a due process, and it could take years. Uh, but once a examination is complete, then the IRS has said, this is how much you owe. And if there's no more appeals, then you know that's what you owe. Now we're back into collections. Now, now is the part that you get worried about the IRS because they are the biggest debt collector in the United States. They have skills, at, they have powers of debt collection that none of your credit card companies have. They have the ability to put liens on your house. They have abilities to seize the money out of your bank account. They have the ability to go to your employer and tell the employer to start deducting portions of your income and giving it directly to them. You don't want your employer to know you have IRS troubles, right? Sure. Uh, they can contact people around you. They can contact lots of people. Uh, you know, so, you know, there's a lot of, and they can keep, you know, turning down the screws until people, you know, pay pony up on their debt. Now there's a due process, right? There are people who cannot pay their debt. So there's a process for that. You can put an installment agreement in place. You typically spread that debt over seven years and pay it on a monthly basis. Uh, and they're actually a pretty good, uh, you know, investment, they, you know, interest rate is, you know, like a half to 1%, depending upon the situation, which is pretty fair compared to credit cards as, yeah. as per month. Uh, so you're into like six to 12% per year. Uh, secondly, uh, you can, uh, you can, you can say, Hey, look, I'm, I don't have any income and I have no assets. Well, they can put you on a non-collectible status. We call it currently non-collectible. And they say, Hey, like you don't have any way to pay us we'll just put you on uh, hold for a couple of years until you start making money and then you can pay the debts you owe us. Uh, or you can, there's another program called offer and compromise, which gets a lot of publicity, but probably shouldn't get as much as it has. Basically, if you have no income and very, very limited assets, you can kind of negotiate a deal with the IRS. Uh, typically, Few, you know, only 40% of the people get that, that mm. apply. So, you know, I don't want to over characterize what they can do for you, but the best way to take care of your your IRS debt is to pay it as you go. If you're a crypto owner and you say, "Hey, look, I just sold some cryptos. I made thirty thousand dollars. You know, I'm averaging this year. I'm up a total of twenty thousand dollars." Well, once you take about uh, you know a portion of that, maybe twenty percent, set it aside, or thirty percent, just set it aside in a cash account. You can mail it into the IRS as an estimated tax payment. And, you know, out of sight, out of mind. You're paying the IRS, and a lot of people get upset uh, that the IRS takes too much money. But I'll tell you, the wealthiest countries in the world have the highest tax brackets. The poorest countries in the world have very low tax brackets. So think about that. That's a great. How yeah, do you get interesting? You know, you have to. I I talked to a guy from Serbia once. He is also an American. He said he grew up in Serbia. Uh, he said I, he said he was there when it was Yugoslavia. And he saw the country fall apart. He saw the country, Serbia, turn into lawlessness run by the criminals before there was an ineffectual, ineffectual government. He said, I've lived in a country like that. I want to pay taxes. I want a government. Which I thought was really refreshing. I guess it's all about perception. So what advice would you give to, to people that do live abroad? They are not, they are maybe U.S. citizens and live in someplace else. Or those around the world that live in a country where you know, there are rules that are set up or maybe the area is gray. What advice do you have for them? Uh, for us, uh, 
Are you talking about U.S. citizens yeah, or com- combination. people in other countries? Yeah, U.S. citizens and non-U.S. citizens. Uh, for U.S. citizens, you need if you're living outside the U.S., you need to know two things. One is that you're taxed on your worldwide income regardless of where you live in the world as Americans. No other country really does this. In other countries, if you only tax in that country if you live there for at least six months of the year. Otherwise, they don't tax you. But the U.S. is like, this is your gift of citizenship. You're always taxed. There's two breaks on that. One is for every dollar you pay to the foreign government for your income tax in the foreign country, the U.S. US gives you a dollar for dollar credit on that. Uh, And then there's another alternate option where the first $107,000 of income and wages that you make overseas gets waived from U.S. income taxation. You still owe Social Security, uh, Social Security on that. The second thing to know about is that if you have more than $10,000 overseas and foreign bank accounts, whether you live in the U.S. or live abroad, if you have 10000 or more combined in foreign banks, brokerages, and crypto exchanges, you need to report that on the FBAR form. This is an anti-money laundering form. It's very easy to fill out. FBAR, you search FBAR, F-B-A-R, Foreign Bank Account Report, and uh, you want to report it. There's no tax associated with this, but failure to file is a $10,000 penalty plus $10,000 for every count that you didn't report per year. Wow, that's a gets big, big quickly. Yeah, that that's a very large number. And then, how about for non U.S. <laughs> citizens? You know, people living living abroad, or I mean, people in other countries. What advice would you give to them? You know, once the tax authorities have you on their radar as somebody who doesn't pay taxes, it'll be with you the rest of your life. So, I really encourage you to stay current on your taxes. Don't pay any more than you have to, but don't get caught up in you know, tax evasion schemes that uh, are abroad. It's, uh, let me put the choice this way. Some people like are absolutely angry at having to pay even a dollar of tax. Would you like to have $1,000 and not pay any tax on it? Or would you like to have $10,000 and pay 30% tax on it? Well, the better deal is the $10,000 deal because you're keeping 7,000. All right. Uh, if you want to pay zero tax, there are clever ways of doing it, but they generally involve leaving the United States uh, or becoming significantly wealthy so that you can take advantage of some of the really important tax breaks uh, that we have, like Donald Trump was taking advantage of. I, I shouldn't blame him. Uh, news just came out today that uh, uh, Joe Biden uh, used a, a variation of the S corporation to evade, I think, three hundred to five hundred thousand dollars in taxes. So, you know, it. You know, these are wealthy people options. If you're not a wealthy person, then, uh, you know, it's better to work hard, make money, pay taxes. That's the way to get ahead. Great counsel. And where do we learn more and how do we find you? Okay. Uh, you can find me on DonnellyTaxLaw.com, D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y TaxLaw.com. And you can schedule an appointment if you want to talk about your cryptocurrencies. Also, I highly recommend you consider our crypto taxaudit.com site, you can get a six-month early warning of a pending IRS audit. If the IRS flags your account for an audit, we can learn about it upwards like six months in advance, which can give you a chance to react and protect yourself. That's great. Well, thank you again for joining us on the Bitcoin.com podcast. My pleasure, Dustin. Thank you so much. You've listened to another episode of the Bitcoin.com podcast. 
subscribe at news.bitcoin.com, where your journey begins.